I'm going to be in First Corinthians, the 14th chapter. I did finish. Well, I finished. I got all the way through chapter 13 last week. Well, no, week before last. Last week, uh, Brother Campbell preached on the greatness for a Bible school. You know, really, the preachers and the religions that get a lot of people, they don't preach in truth. Think about that. They don't get they don't preach any truth at all. And they they line up to hear them. Well it always was that way. Uh all the thousands left Jesus. You know, they just don't, they don't flock to the truth. And I don't care how good you are, they're not going to flock to the truth. So what we need to do is be faithful. Be faithful and sow good seed. And good seed is the word. Now, we're going to start in chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians. But now remember, chapters 11 or 12 and 13. Chapter 12, we started spiritual gifts. And that's when Paul laid those spiritual gifts out. Now keep this in mind. Those spiritual gifts came on the day of Pentecost. Now, there were some evidence of some gifts like that before the seven disciples and those went out like, but these specifically came on the day of Pentecost. That's not the day the church was started. The church was started when Jesus Christ was on the earth during his public ministry. I pretty much believe he was walking on the shores of Galilee. Others believe it was in Luke chapter 6 when he went to a mountain and prayed all night and he ordained 12 apostles. He chose 12 men to be the apostles. And Paul says here in chapter 12 that God has set some in the church, first apostles. Well, on the day of Pentecost, which was just in the same vein as the temple a thousand years before this and the tabernacle 1,500 years before this. When Aholiab and Bezalel under the 
leadership of Moses, built the tabernacle. They had it all put together, just according to the pattern. As far as they could tell, they couldn't touch it until God put his approval on it. You may think you've done it all right. And you may have done everything that you can to make sure you do it all right. But you can't ever be sure until God tells you it is. And when he says it is, it is. All right, so when the Shekinah glory, and that word's not in the scripture, but it's Hebrew word that means glory, the effulgent glory, came on the tabernacle. You had the pillar of cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night, and both hovered above the Ark of the Covenant between the cherubims. The the, uh, Holy of Holies and the mercy seat. And above the the tent, the tabernacle, that's where the cloud and the pillar of fire were. And when either one lifted up, then the priest blew the trumpets, and the the high priest went in and got the word from the Lord. And they started disassembling the tabernacle, got it all, and got out in front of the tribe. Then the tribes, by their proper order, followed along, and they moved until God stopped them. And then they'd set it up, and they'd stay there until God moved again. Well, when the Shekinah glory came on the tabernacle, it never repeated. It was never, ever repeated. Only one time. And then when David gathered the material, and Solomon put the material together and the temple, the permanent dwelling place of God, the tabernacle, was a tent. It was immovable. But this is a permanent place. They had it all together. Not a sound of a hammer was heard putting those big stones together. That's a pretty good stonesmith. They cut them out miles away from the assembly point, and then put them together and don't even have to use a hammer to get them set. Well, but it still couldn't be used because God had not put his approval on it. So then the Shekinah glory came, and when God said it is, then they began to use the the temple. The Jews were raised with, with the scriptures. They knew this. When we get to the church in the, in the book of Acts, the first members of the first Baptist church were the apostles. Now they've only got 11 members because Judas has gone and hanged himself. He was a traitor. But now they were told to tarry a while in Jerusalem. Though the church was fully formed, had all the offices, had all the treasure, had everything that even conducted business, conducted discipline, had everything that you need for a church, only one thing. They didn't have the approval of God. So he said, Acts 1.8, he said, now when the, uh, when the day has come, then you shall receive power, and then you shall be witnesses unto me, 
both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. And so on the day of Pentecost, and why? Well, the Feast of Pentecost, of the all the Jewish feast, was 50 days after the Passover. Well, they waited 10 days. Jesus ascended 40 days after the resurrection. And 10 days later, they're all in one accord. And what had happened during that 10 days, there'd been an influx of members into the church. Now, where did they come from? I have an idea that a lot of them were those who had heard Jesus preach and the others and preach, and they came in and they received scriptural baptism, became members of the church. By the time that the Spirit came upon the church, they had about 120 names, members. So the church grew from 11 to 120. Is it about? There may be a few others there, but about 120 members. And that's all that were concerned with the baptism in the Holy Spirit. All of those multitudes had nothing to do with that. They were in Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost. From all these different nations around. And they, many of them spoke different languages. They didn't speak the same language. And so there was no way of communicating one person communicating with all of them, especially not speaking into those other languages. All right. So when the Spirit, Jesus, baptized, immersed his church in the Holy Spirit, or with the Holy Spirit, and when that happened, the Holy Spirit's invisible. He still is. How do you know he's there? Well, you heard sounds. Of a rushing mighty wind. They tell me these tornadoes sound like a freight train. And that's a rushing mighty wind. Awful sounds. Well they heard sounds like that. It wasn't a tornado. Wasn't a hurricane. But it was a sound like it. And then. Cloven tongues like as a fire. Danced upon each of them. Didn't say they were fire. They said they were like as fire. And then. Some of them began to speak in other languages that they had never learned. But, but they weren't just speaking. They were preaching the gospel. And you get Peter's message in Acts the second chapter. It was a great gospel message. It's what he preached on the day of Pentecost. Uh, he wasn't preaching on the Holy Spirit. He just said this is what you've heard was told was going to happen. And this is Joel 2.28. This is fulfilled. Anyway, now, remember that these gifts are under discussion in chapters 12, 13, and even chapter 14. Now, we, I think, proved in chapter 13 that all of those gifts were temporary. He said they would cease. And I can I think I can prove that he wasn't talking about normal things. He's talking about those gifts specifically. They'd last for a while. Well, why would they last for a while? The big factor is they didn't have 
the completed word of God. The day of Pentecost came about the calendars off, 33 or 34 A.D. The first book of the New Testament wasn't even written until 45 A.D. And that's the book of James. So they had none of the writing of the New Testament. A few had a book or two or a scroll or two of the Old Testament. But try to worship Jesus and the Spirit and in the truth without the Bible. Can't happen. All right, so these gifts were conducive to worshiping God in the Spirit and in the truth through these gifts. Now, chapter 12, he delineates those gifts, talks about what all they were. I've heard, I've heard so-called preachers, uh, many Southern Baptist preachers try to say, all oh, these gifts still are with us today. No, they're not. Read chapter 13. Then you won't go back say, and, and preach heresy on chapter 12. These gifts are not with us. There are people that claim they are. And even Catholics and Southern Baptists are involved in that. And many others are. But it's phony. It's not real. Anyway, so chapter 13 tells us the significance and the temporal nature of these gifts. They will cease. And when will they cease? Verse 10 of chapter 13. But when that which is perfect. The word perfect there is teleo. Complete. Finished. What was not finished at that time? The word of God. Then that which is in part shall be done away. What was in part? Those gifts. There's no way that a man standing up in a worship service and saying, I have a prophecy from God. And he tells you, maybe equivalent to two or three verses of the Old Testament. That's all he can give you. Maybe somebody else has got something. But you just get bits and pieces. You can't do a you can't do a, a, a verse by verse study of the word, do a word study and all of that. You can't do all that. So there was a great need for some way uh, for the saints and the churches to be taught the word and worship God and the spirit and the truth. Plus, as on the day of Pentecost, you read chapter 2 of Acts. There are people from many different nations there. And how can you preach the gospel to people you can't speak to? It's always uh, just kind of intrigued me. I've been to several foreign mission fields. And I have met several, even from other denominations, that are from the United States in foreign countries. And do you know where you can always find them? In language school. Every last one of them. 
even those that are going to foreign countries and trying to preach speaking in tongues. They're in language school. The folks that had the gift of tongues weren't in language school. Their language school was a miracle of God that worked a miracle in their tongue that they could preach the gospel in a language they'd never studied. Have you ever been to a foreign country? You know children don't have a rough time. They grab onto a language real quick. And they can speak it, end up speaking it with no accent. Adults have a rough time. Don't think because you're a smart American that you can go overseas, go any other foreign country, and you can learn that language and not even have an accent. That is a pipe dream, buddy. That ain't going to happen. Not for an adult. There's no way you can do that. Your mouth forms differently. And words you just, you just can't do it. You do real well if you can, if you can deliver a same uh, sentence and understand one. You're doing real well and learn the language. That's, that's, that's for sure. Uh, but anyway, how come those tongue-speaking missionaries, how come they're, they're in language school? And, I mean, they have as rough time as anybody does. Whatever. I mean, I, I met them in, in Hungary. As you talk about a language, you ought to try a Hungarian. <laughs> yeah, boy, you talk about a language. Uh, I don't know. Tim and Alice knew. They were there for two months. They know what that language is. You might know a word or two. I'll tell you what I can remember right now. From Hungarian, nem, nem. That's no. I remember that. I don't remember much else. Uh, I'm sure Tim and Alice remember a few more words. But they're rough languages. And you've got to communicate. Well, if you can't communicate, what are you doing there? So that's why they have to go to language school. And say, well, they're wasting time. They're in language school. No, they're not wasting time. If they're going to preach the word, they're going to have to learn how to preach in that language. Uh, you can use a, a translator, uh, but you can have rough times there too. I remember when Louis Carver left here and uh, went to Korea as a missionary. And he probably a lot faster than he should have organized a Shin Nai Baptist church in Seoul, South Korea. Did y'all know we have a church out of here in Seoul, South Korea? It was organized under the authority of Richmond Road Baptist Church. Uh, Shin Nai Baptist Church. Uh, but you know what he found out later? He never he hadn't learned the language then. The translator that he was using was not preaching what he was preaching. Had some real bad problems over that. You can't rush it. So anyway, but what I'm what I'm trying to get across is the the, the, the people that so-called speak these tongues, they won't listen to what I'm saying. They don't want to hear it. But they did not have the Word of God, just bits and pieces of the Old Testament. And when he said, when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away with. And that those are the gifts. All right. 
Then in chapter 14 now, what we're going to encounter, this is the church at Corinth. One of the gifts that were delineated in chapter 12, other tongues. They're misabusing it, misusing it. And so this whole chapter, pretty much the whole chapter, is about the misuse of the gift of tongues when it existed. This is not for today. Nobody's got the gift of tongues. But this was when it existed. Now, we learned some other things here, but that's what this chapter's about. So now he says, follow after charity. Remember, we said faith, hope, and charity. These three, the greatest is charity. He says, follow after charity and desire spiritual gifts, but rather that you may prophesy. Now, I don't think he's talking about the gift of prophesying, but anyway, follow after charity. What's he say? Without charity, you're nothing. Or without Christ, you can do nothing. Without charity, uh, you are nothing. Well, anyway, for he that speaketh in an, now unknown is in italics, but it surely belongs there, an unknown tongue. If you had the gift of tongues, evidently you could exercise it whether anybody was around or not. That's, it appears to me that's what it was. Now, speaks not unto men but unto God. For no man understands him unless he speaks that language. Howbeit in the spirit he speaketh mysteries. So that's the best I can come up with there is that those that had the gift to speak in tongues could exercise it when nobody else was around. But he that prophesieth, verse 3, speaketh unto men to edification and exhortation and comfort. Now, prophesieth. We talked about that in chapter 12. Uh, prophesying can be prognostication. The big word, prognostication, comes Greek. Pro, pro was first. Gnosis, knowledge. Prognostication is giving knowledge beforehand. That would be unfulfilled prophecy now. But most people think that's all prophecy was about. But no. To prophesy is to teach the word of God. In the, in the book of Kings, Elijah and Elisha, there was a school for the prophets. They weren't learning far off forecast. They're learning the word of God to teach it. So you have to understand that prophesying had much more than just prognostication involved in it. And so prophesying speaks unto men to edification. What does the word, teaching the word of God do? Builds you up in the most holy faith. And that's what he says. It, it, uh, 
speaks unto me in edification and exhortation and comfort. All of those things, the expounding the word of God does all of those things. And so that's prophecy there. But now he says, he that speaketh in an unknown tongue, it's unknown to him or to some that's hearing him, but it's not unknown in the earth. Somewhere there's somebody that speaks that tongue, that language. And you know, there are uh, philologists, they study languages. These tongue speakers will not submit themselves to those philologists and see what language they're speaking because when they do all of that, like Brother Elder Ward said, speaking them funny languages, they're not speaking a language. There's nobody on the planet Earth that speaks that garbage. And that's all it is, is garbage. And then somebody, somebody says that they interpret it. Let me give you an example real quick. There's a fellow all the way back when. I've got several of his books. He's dead now. Kurt Cook was his name. And he had studied a lot about these gifts and said that he was in a mission on the, uh, in San Francisco, Ocean Beach, on the wharf there. You know, the ships come in and all. You got sailors from all over the world would come in there. And there was a mission like down on Skid Row. They called it a mission. It's just a place that had a big sign, a neon sign with the Bible. And you go in there and you're having people sitting there and somebody preaching to them. And said he went into one of those missions. And said that there was this woman that told him that she thought she could speak in tongues. And she stood up in that one of those services, speaking in tongues, and everybody just clapping and praising her. Boy, you're really spiritual. The Lord's really using you. Nobody knew what she was saying. But there was one fella. He was a Chinese fella. He knew exactly what she was saying. She didn't know what she was saying. He went to her after the service and he said, ma'am, he said, did you know what you were saying when you stood up in that service? No, it was just so wonderful. He said, no, it wasn't. He said, you were talking the filthiest talk in whatever dialect of Chinese language. Just, I mean, filthy, filthy talk. And here's what she discovered. Some years before that, she was taking her laundry into a Chinese laundry in Chinatown, San Francisco. There's a lot of Chinese people there. And she would take her, she was a fairly attractive woman. She would take her laundry in that laundry. And they had several Chinese immigrants, came over from China, were working in that laundry. And she remembered that every time she'd go in, she never could understand what they were saying. But they would start talking to her. And then they would just start laughing and laughing. Well, what they were doing, they were being filthy with her, with that language. 
And she'd just smile and yeah, grin like that. She had no idea what she was agreeing to. Well, what happens? When they, when they do this so-called tongue speaking, they get themselves worked up into a state of ecstasy. If you want to study it, check out ecstasy, ecstatic utterances. And when, when you get yourself into that state of ecstasy, your subconscious can bring up stuff from your past. And that's how they get stuff going. Well, needless to say, she, she quit all that. Because she realized that she, she was being deceived by Satan. Well, let me show you an example. Look at 1 Kings 18. Well, you know, what's happening here is the contest with Elijah and the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. Verse 17, it came to pass when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said unto him, Art thou he that troubleth Israel? All right, so, uh, so now there's a verse 21, Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him not a word. Then said Elijah unto the people, I even I only remain a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let them therefore give us two bullocks and let them choose one bullock for themselves, cut it in pieces and lay it on wood, put no fire under it. And I will dress the other bullock and lay it on wood and put no fire under it and call you on the name of your gods. Little G. And I will call on the name of the Lord, capital L. And the God that answered, answereth by fire, let him be God. And all the people answered, said, it is well spoken. And Elijah said unto the prophets of Baal, Choose you one bullock for yourselves, and dress it first, for you are many. And call on the name of your gods, but put no fire under it. And they took the bullock which was given them, and they dressed it, and called on the name of Baal from morning even until noon, saying, O Baal, hear us. But there was no voice nor any that answered. And they leaped upon the altar which was made. And it came to pass at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Cry aloud, for he is a God. And either he is talking or he is pursuing or he is in a journey or a peradventure. He sleepeth and must be awakened. One thing, he said, your God must go to the bathroom. In verse 28, and they cried aloud. Now the words in the Hebrew are important there because I believe what they're doing is speaking in the tongues that they speak today. That kind of tongue. And they cut themselves after their manner with knives and lancets till the blood gushed out upon them. And it came to pass when the midday was passed, they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice and there was neither voice nor any to answer nor any that regarded. So they've been doing this all day long. They haven't got a sound. They're cut all to pieces. Now it says that wasn't the first time they cut themselves. That was a part of their worship. And you people, people cut themselves right now. And you better believe that de- demons have something to do with that. Because that's part of demonic worship. 
and that's what they were doing. Anyway, so we know the, the rest of that. They didn't get any response from their little gods. And then Elijah cried to the, to the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And he sent fire they, after they put water, four barrels of water on that altar. Didn't, didn't make it easy. The whole thing was burned up. God sent fire from, from above. But now what I want you to see was they didn't just dance. They were in a state of ecstasy. They had to be or they couldn't have done that cutting themselves and blood gushing. You know, it does hurt. Cut yourself does hurt. Well, how could they do that and not hurt in that state of ecstasy? That's how the Fiji firewalkers walk in fire. That's how the the uh, fakers, or F-A-K-I-R, Indian fakers, they lie down on a bed of nails. They do all that ridiculous stuff. And they feel no pain because they're in a state of ecstasy. And if you ever watched any of those... Uh, Tell all shows that were the snake handlers. They don't come in there cold picking up snakes. They don't have pews in their in their services. It's just a dance floor. And they don't I mean they I don't know what you call their dancing, look like Indians dancing or something. But they just hoop and holler and dancing and got loud music, fast music, just dancing. And then all of a sudden somebody will get in the mood. And he'll reach in a box and pull out a rattler and let it, let it crawl all over him and all that. So they're in a state of ecstasy to do all of that. Drinking poison and do all that stuff. Uh, and that's the same thing these prophets of Baal are doing. Well, look at Isaiah chapter 8. Isaiah chapter 8, verse 19. And when they shall say unto you, Seek unto them that have familiar spirits, and unto wizards that peep and that mutter. Should not a people seek unto their God, for the living to the dead, to the law, and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, it's because there's no light in them. But... Don't go to those people that have familiar spirits and wizards and those people that peep and mutter. Check the Hebrew there. First time I ever brought this out, I was preaching at Lexington Baptist College. Brother Brown sitting right in front of me. I said, am I right on that, Brother Brown? And that's what this, those those. False prophets that peep and mutter. Have you ever heard anybody speak in so-called tongues? That guy, I can't think of his name. He used to be on television all the time. He'd get out of bed and get out of And I'd let him get out of bed and I'd let him get out of bed and get out of bed. Like they're out of their minds. That's what those prophets were doing. The prophets of Baal, that's what they were doing. And that is exactly what the holy rollers do. 
The charismatic people do when they claim to speak in tongues. They do not speak in tongues. It's demonic. I would think that you just need to know that those pagans, those heathen, do that. And here they are doing it and saying it in the name of the Lord. It's not in the name of the Lord at all. I mean, they may say it is, but it's not. It's in the name of Satan. Anyway, so I wanted to get that out across to you. Now, Paul says, uh, he that speaketh an unknown tongue edifies himself, but he that prophesieth edifies the church, the assembly, builds up the assembly. How? In the most holy faith, in the word of God. I would that you all spake with tongues, but rather that you prophesied. For greater is he that prophesied than he that speaketh with tongues, except he interpret that the church may receive edifying. Now, if you're actually speaking in a legitimate tongue from God, then what you're, what you're saying can be interpreted. And when it's interpreted, it will edify God's people. I think that's what he says there, isn't it? Now, brethren, if I come unto you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you except I shall speak to you either by revelation or by knowledge or by prophesying or by doctrine? I've got to get the word to you. That's what it's all about. And even things without life-giving sound, whether pipe or harp, Except they give a distinction in the sounds, how shall it be known what is piped or harp? Whatever you're saying, it's got to be intelligible. You've got to be able to understand what's being said. I always use the illustration when I get to the piano. You make a beautiful two-handed chord. Just G, two octaves. Beautiful. Harmony. Or you just go, <laughs> hurt your ears. That would be called a cacophony. And it's, there's nothing beautiful about it. It's just noise, awful, piercing noise. And that's exactly, somebody gets up, Now what can you get out of that? Not a thing. And the one doing it is, is more deceived than anybody. Anyway, uh, you've got to have a distinct sound if you're going to play a musical instrument. Now, you know, somebody's learning on a violin or fiddle. Oh, it's awful. It's awful. Until they can strike a clean note, <laughs> it's, it's horrible. It's got to give a plain sound. For Verse 8, For if the trumpet give an uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself to the battle? Now, I've forgotten many of them. David got him a, a bolson's pipe. You, you know all the pipes? You know some of them, though. Yeah. Well, in the Navy, aboard ship, you got a bolson's mate, and he, he's got certain, that little pipe, a little whistle. David's got one with the lanyard on it and everything. And you learn to recognize them. Uh, or there's all, we also use the trumpet, not as much, I guess, as the army does, but we also 
you got a trumpet. Wait, you learn what those trumpet calls are about. Sometimes it's going uh, battle stations. Uh, so, I mean, you have to know what they're about. You can't get somebody just playing with it up there. Trying. Nobody would know or have any idea what to do. And that's what Paul is referring to. So, got uh, how shall it be known? What is pipe or harp? For, for if the trumpet give an uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself for battle or to the battle? So likewise, you all, except you utter by the tongue words easy to be understood, how shall it be known what is spoken? For you shall speak into the air. And that's not what we're about speaking into there. You cannot edify the air. You can't accomplish anything by just speaking to the air. So, words, what do you say? Words, uttered by the tongue, words, easy to be understood. Now, sometimes I use words, but I play with them. And I'll tell you what those words mean, where they come from. And that, I think that's a learning, a learning method. But if I get up here like Dr. Hogjaw's, and I just spew out one, one fra- complicated theological terms, one after another, and don't explain them. When you're preaching, don't assume everybody knows what you're talking about. I mean, that's a, that's a false assumption. You never hurt anybody by explaining yourself. If somebody already knows what you're talking about, there's probably a bunch that don't know what you're talking about it you never hurt anybody by explaining what you're talking about and defining your terms words to be easily understood and that's what paul says now there are it may be may be so many kinds of voices in the world and none of them is without signification therefore If I know not the meaning of the voice, I shall be unto him that speaketh a barbarian, and he that speaketh shall be a barbarian unto me. That's whatever language is being spoken. And you know, you don't have to speak in tongues to be confusing. You just have to. That's why I preach. I just went into Lexington Baptist College. You had to take an English test. Because if you couldn't pass it, you couldn't go into English 101. You had to go into remedial English. You had to back up and learn what you should have learned in high school. So we all had to take that test. But it, I'd hear those preachers making jokes about English. Young guys, you know, just, I just, boys, listen. This is one of the most important classes you're going to have. You can learn how to communicate in this class. There's nothing worse than a preacher trying to preach and doesn't know what he's talking about. What's he going to... As I've talked to Derek many times, I wonder how some preachers can even preach on a text... Well, when they read it, I know good and well they ain't understanding what they're reading. So, reading, public reading, and public speaking 
is very important for a preacher and a teacher. And this is what Paul's talking about here. But now what's going on in Corinth is that they're abusing this gift. And that's what it's all about. Anyway, he said, I'll be a barbarian to them and they're a barbarian to me. Meaning you can't understand what to say. Even so, you all, for as much as you are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek that you may excel to the edifying of the church. That's what. Wherefore, let him that speaketh in an unknown tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth, but my understanding is unfruitful. I'm assuming that they could pray. In a time. I don't know how they worked. I, I never had it. And I never knew anybody that did have it. And so I'm just assuming that's what he's talking about. But I hear people go, oh, I'll pray in my prayer language. You know what your prayer language is? The language you speak. Amen. So, well, angels' tongues. Well, I never saw one angel that came to, me, to human beings that didn't speak the language they spoke. They didn't come and speak some other language to people that they were trying to communicate with. They spoke their language. Well, a prayer, do you, what do you think, God's language bound? You have to speak some kind of language to him? <laughs> Not at all. Anyway. What is it then? Verse 15. I will pray with the spirit. I will pray with the understanding also. I will sing with the spirit. And I will sing with the understanding also. Everything is about understanding. Knowing what you're saying. And what somebody else is saying. Knowing what you're singing. Else when thou shalt bless with the spirit. How shall he that occupieth the room of the unlearned. Say amen at thy giving of thanks. Seeing understandeth not what thou sayest. That's why I have a rough time. Brethren, when you all pray, I hope you'll raise your voice. Don't whisper when you pray. Because old deaf me, I want to hear what you're praying. So I can amen what you're praying. Because I have a rough time amening what I can't hear. Uh, when we pray, when I call on you to pray, one of you brethren, Lead us in prayer. I'm not calling on you to pray for yourself. I'm calling on you to lead us in prayer. And all of us need to bow our heads and join our hearts with the brother that's leading us in prayer. And we pray as one. And when you close out, don't say, Lord, I thank you. Get rid of I. We thank you. Because you're praying on behalf of the congregation. Now if you're praying all by yourself, different story. Now, verse 17. For thou verily givest thanks well, but the other is not edified. You may say what you really need and be good, but nobody else knows it. And then he says, I'm going to quit right here. I thank my God I speak with tongues 
more than y'all. Obviously, the Apostle Paul had the gift. Yet, here we go. In the assembly, I had rather speak five words with my understanding that by my voice I might teach others also than 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. The gifts are hard, not hardly glorified as these charismatics try to glorify them. They had a purpose for a time. We find out more that in chapter 12 that uh, you couldn't pray and get, get a gift. It said the Holy Spirit divided them severally as he would. So it was sovereign God that gave them. But if you had one, you needed to use it according to the word of God. We'll see some more. There's all kinds of rules, regulations for speaking tongues. We'll